Good to see you. Thanks. <clears throat> Open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you would, please. And I do want to say it's an honor and a privilege for me to be able to be back here. I, uh, I'm always honored that your pastor would allow me to preach here. And uh, he's always been very gracious and kind to my wife and I, and we appreciate that very much. And, of course, gracious to our family as well. And we're very grateful for him and for what God's doing here. Enjoyed very much uh, a few times staying in your missions apartment next door there, uh, in spite of the fact that I have a house in Puyallup. And so <laughs> that just shows you how gracious he is, how kind he is, that he would let me, uh, let me stay in his place when I have a place too. <laughs> but... Uh, on certain times, whenever our place was not available for one reason or another, I've been able to, we've been able to stay in your missions department. I love the fact that your pastor does everything first class. I really do. It seems like any, every time I come, there's something different and uh, something updated, and it just looks great, and I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and thankful for your pastor and his wife and, of course, their, their children and what God has done here through these years under his leadership. I'm gonna. I want to. I'm gonna do something here a little bit different today, and uh, we're not gonna read the text yet. I'm gonna read the text in a few minutes, right after the introduction, and then I'll. I'll uh, then I'll read the text, and then, and as we go through the text, actually I'm not even gonna read the text. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go through the text with you, and uh, as we read it together, and then I'm just gonna make some application, and so uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing. Uh, I'm excited about being able to preach this. God says some things that God has shown me recently over the last uh, week or so uh, that I've really been excited about and been looking forward to being able to share this with others as well. Um, We're entering a new year. Now, it's a year that has the potential to bring both joy and heartache. If we look back over the past three years, all of us, I think, would agree that over the past three years have been, we've had unprecedented changes and and, uh, challenges um, it's not been a very good time, really. The last three years, the changes have been unprecedented all around the world, not just in America, all over the world. Many of those changes have not been good. In fact, some of them have been devastating, completely devastating when it comes to society. And so now we go into another year, and again, a year with great challenges. Here in America, we have record inflation. We have recession at our do- doorstep. I think we're already in recession but uh, our leaders just haven't admitted it yet, but they will soon. We're in the, we, we have a recession at our doorstep. Uh, surveys I read recently showed that there was a decrease in those who identify as, as Christians. Uh, the number of Christians is going down in America, not up. The life expectancy for Americans is at a 25-year low. The killing of unborn children is seen as nothing more than a health decision. We have an unprecedented security crisis at our southern border. We have a crisis in our totally failed public school system. And to make matters worse, our elected officials, that many of them refuse to acknowledge that there's even a problem. Uh, they gaslight us and say that, hey, there's no problem. What you see is not what really exists. Everything's fine. And so it's, uh, it's a very challenging time. But with that encouraging introduction... Now that I've been a blessing and encouragement to you, and with that encouraging introduction to this message, this morning what I'd like to do is to give you three reasons why you should face 2023 with optimism, confidence, and great faith. I believe that this is, a, this is, a time, this is no time for us to be discouraged at all, and I'm going to give you the reasons why that uh, I feel like God spoke to me about recently. And, uh, and, and we're an encouragement to me. I hope there'll be an encouragement to you as well. Second Kings chapter 6. Our story begins 
with something that uh, you might see on the news tonight or hear on the news tonight. The first few words of our text wouldn't be surprising at all to any of us if we hear this on the news tonight. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. So we wouldn't be shocked if we heard that there's another war in Israel. The Syrians have attacked the, the Israelis. Uh, this is something that's been going on. This Arab-Israeli conflict has been going on for thousands of years. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and, and it's, it's, been, going, it's going, going, been going on for, forever, or for, 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 for a long time. Nothing new about this. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, this is continuing to go on. And so the Bible says that the king of Syria wars against the king of Israel. Now, <clears throat> the king of Syria is at war, warring against the king of Israel, and he's attempting to attack and to defeat the, uh, the king of Israel. Israel, of course, in this, in this time frame, you've got the divided kingdom. So Israel is the northern kingdom, Samaria is the capital, and Judah is the southern kingdom. Of course, Jerusalem is the capital there. So the king of Syria is warring against the, the, the king of the northern, the northern uh, part of Israel, the northern uh, uh, of, the, of the divided kingdom. So the king of Syria wars against Israel. He took counsel with his servants in verse 8, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. So he's, uh, he's making plans to attack the king of Israel. And he says, Now here's where we're going to camp. He's got his, 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 his center, inner circle together, and he's gathering, getting them together. He's got his cabinet together. And he says, Now here's, where, here's the plan. We're going to be over at this place. When the king of Israel comes through there, then uh, we'll be able to attack him and defeat him and hopefully kill him. And so um, he, he's, he's doing this. Verse 9, the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for tither the Syrians are come down. So <clears throat> the king of Syria, uh, the king, I'm sorry, the king, the king, yeah, the king of, of, uh, of the uh, Assyrians, the king of Syria has his... <laughs> what was it you were saying you go, lose first? First it's your hearing, then it's your sight. And then it's your ability to, to, to talk, talk. That's what it is. So, so he's, I'm having a Biden moment. For, please forgive me. I'll get back in just a minute here. But so the man of God, the man of God, Elisha, knows what's going on. And he warns the king of Israel. So the king of, uh, the king of Syria is getting very upset. The Syrian king is getting very upset. So the king of Israel sent him to the place which the man of God told him. And warned him of, saved him, and he saved him there, not once nor twice. So over and over again this happens. So the, the Assyrian king, or the Syrian king is going to attack the Israeli king. He can't do it. Because the Israeli king finds out where the attack's going to be, and he just avoids it. And so this is happening repeatedly. So the king of Syria is then convinced that, that he's got a spy among his people. There's a, there's a mole here somewhere. There, there's somebody in my cabinet that is, that is letting let it be known. They're leaking. <laughs> They're leaking these evidence like we, like we do in, in, our, in our country, right? They leak something that shouldn't have been leaked, but they do it all the time in our country. So the king of Israel sends the place. And let's know. Therefore, verse 11, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He called his servants and he said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who is the spy? Somebody is letting the king of Israel know our plans. And we've got to figure out who this guy is and we've got, we got to take him out. Because this has to stop. Now, he's very upset. 
So he calls his people together and he tells them, uh, he tells them what we read in verse 11. One of his servants said in verse 12, none, my Lord. So Syrian king says, who's the spy? And his servant says, you don't have a spy here. There's no disloyal person in our cabinet. All of us are loyal to you. None, my, my, my Lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. The problem is not with us, king. The problem is with this guy named Elisha, who's a prophet of God. And Elisha knows everything that you say. You can't say anything that Elisha doesn't know. And Elisha tells the king of Israel, that's why this is happening to us. And our, our, our plans are being foiled every time. So, then when the king of Israel realizes this, he decides, well, we need to eliminate Elisha then. So, you go get Elisha, find him, bring him back. Maybe we're going to torture him. Uh, whatever it might be, we're going to get evidence from him. We're going we're to find out how he knows what's going on. And then probably no doubt he's going to kill him. So verse 12, the Bible goes on down now in 2 Kings chapter uh, 6, and we, we come up in verse 12. Verse 12, so one of his servants says, none of them, the king, the king the, it's Elisha telling him. Verse 13, he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he to their horses and chariots and a great host. They came by night and compassed the city about. So... Elisha's the problem. Send out more spies. Find out where this prophet Elisha is. They find him in this little city called Dothan. And at that time, Dothan's not a very prominent town, but it's a place where Elisha is. And he and his servant are, 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 uh, are, are living there. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. The king then sends his armies. And they come by night and they surround this little city of Dothan. Now Elisha's there. It's a small city. His servant is with him. And they're living there in Dothan. That verse, then, then look if you would please, um, after this happens, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God was risen early, and he came for, and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto, was, said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha's servant gets up early in the morning. He goes out, and he's, you know, maybe yawning or whatever he's doing, and he's just kind of getting ready for the, for the day. And he looks out, and all of a sudden, he sees surrounding this city the, the armies of the Syrian king. They're all around him. And he realizes that they're there to get them. He knows what Elisha's been doing. He knows that Elisha, he's with Elisha. He's perhaps taking the message oftentimes the messenger that takes Elisha's message to the king to say, look, this is, this is what's going to happen. So he sees these, these, these uh, armies of, of this, the, the Syrians all around him. And he is in total despair. He believes that it's over. Notice what he says. Verse 15, he says, Alas, my master, how shall we do? We'd say today, what shall we do? Alas, my master. Uh, the meaning here is, like he would, he would be saying, there's no hope. We're, we, what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. There's the two of us, and there's all of these armies surrounding us. There's no way, no way to run, nowhere to hide, no way to get out of this. They're here to get us. Um, he felt like he was total hopeless. He's saying, basically what he's saying to Elisha is, Master, there, there's no hope here. 
we might as well just give up. We have no hope. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like that in your life? I mean, there's a situation here. My marriage, there's no hope. My finances, there's no hope. My kids, there's no hope. I don't know what I'm going to do. My job, whatever, my health, whatever it might be. Situations, we've all been in, haven't we? I mean, you don't get through life. I love that song that we sang just a moment ago. The Anchor Holds. That was beautiful. I never heard that song before. The Anchor Holds in Spite of the Storm. Here's what I was, what I was thinking. The Anchor Holds in Spite of Me. <laughs> we oftentimes are being, we're in storms. And we say, there's absolutely no, I don't see any way out of it. There's no hope. It's hopeless. That's what Elisha's servant is doing. Elisha, there's, there's, no, there's no way out of this. It's hopeless. Then Elisha says something very strange. Go back to this next verse, if you would, please. His, his servant says, alas, master, how shall we do? The situation is hopeless. We, there's no way out of this. And Elisha says something very strange. And he answered him in verse 16 and said, Don't be afraid, fear not. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now what a strange thing to say. The servant knows that there's nobody else with them. They don't have anybody with them. There's the servant and there's the master, Elisha. There's the prophet and his servant. That's it. There there, there are no armies with them. There's no one there to protect them. He knows that he and Elisha are alone. And so verse 17, Elisha prayed. Very unusual prayer. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. Open his eyes that he may see. And God opened his eyes and allowed Elisha's servant to see what Elisha could see, but what he could not see. What nobody else could see. Verse 17. And he saw. And behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Round about Elisha. The Syrian soldiers came to get Elisha. To take him back. To their master. To their king. To be interrogated. No doubt killed. But look what happens. Verse 18. When they come down to him, so these soldiers come down to get him. Elisha prays again. And he says to the Lord, uh, I pray thee with, smite these people, I pray thee with blindness. He smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this your city. Follow me, I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, capital of the, capital, the capital city of the the kingdom of Israel, the divided kingdom, you remember, northern kingdom. Now, he, 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 he blinds these people, God blinds these people, but evidently they weren't like totally blind. There was like a, maybe they were able at least to, to, to follow him. Maybe a really blurred thing where they can't really see what's going on. And so they follow him to Samaria. Now look at verse 20, if you would. Came to pass when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, he prays again, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes. And they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. <laughs> Can you imagine what these guys must have thought, these, these soldiers? They've come to, to Dothan. They're coming down to get Elisha. 
and all of a sudden something happens and, they're, and they lose their eyesight. They can barely see anything at all that's going on. They can't see anything clearly. And Elisha comes out and says, oh, you, you, come on, I'll take you where you want to go. And he takes them to the capital of the king that is their enemy. And they go inside that city. And, then all, and now they're surrounded by, the, by their enemy. And then their eyes are open. And they look around and they see where they are. Here's what they must have thought. They must have thought the same thing that the servant thought, <laughs> Elisha's servant thought we saw them. It's hopeless. We're, out. We're done. They have to be thinking, we're dead. We're dead. I mean, we are surrounded by, we're in the capital. We're in Samaria. They're going to kill us all. And so the king of Israel, by the way, does want to kill him. Right on, on the spot. The king of Israel says, hey, Elisha, this is wonderful. You brought me my enemy. Let's kill him. Let's do it right now. Let's kill him. Look, if you would, please, at verse 21. Verse 21 says, The king of Israel said unto Elisha, When he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? I mean, he's excited about this. He says, he says let, can, I, can I kill him? Kill him right now? And Elisha says, No. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to kill him. Verse 22, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with the sword and with, the, with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. He prepared great provisions, not only the bread and water, but he provides a meal for them. He prepared great provision for them, and when they had eaten and drunk and sent them away, they went to their master, so the bands of Syria came no more unto the land of Israel. Now, what an incredible story. What a story. And by the way, it's a true story. It actually happened. I mean, this situation goes from war to hopelessness, to defeat, to peace. I mean, what an amazing... I mean, only, only God could do this. Nobody else could have done what, what happened here. No wonder Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Things which are impossible with us, God can do them. God did some amazing miracles in this story. And this morning, I want to give you three reasons from this story why I really believe that you and I should go into 2023 with great faith, great optimism, and great confidence in our God, and great joy even. We ought to go into 2023 just, just waiting to see what God's going to do. Let me give you three reasons. Number one, God's complete omniscience and sovereignty. In verses 8 through 14, as we read that, we saw that God knew everything that was happening. Everything that was happening. No one could be victorious over Israel as long as Elisha told the king of Israel everything the king of Syria was doing. Everything he was planning. I mean, the, the, this, the, the king of Syria couldn't, couldn't utter anything without God telling Elisha, Elisha and Elisha telling the king of Israel. Um, what we see here is the incredible omniscience. The, he knows it all. And the sovereignty of God. Every plan, every ambush, every situation. Elisha knew it. God told it to him, and he saved Israel. The Bible says not once or twice, but repeatedly, over and over and over again. Now, every plan, every ambush, we need to stop, I think. As we go into 2023, we need to remember there's absolutely nothing going on in our world today that God doesn't know about. Nothing. There's nothing going on behind closed doors that our God doesn't see. 
There's nothing in America going on. There's nothing in Israel going on. There's nothing in, in, in any of the over 200 countries of this, of this planet that God doesn't know about. God is in, he knows everything. Not only does he know everything, he controls everything. Um, he knows what's happening in America. He knows what's happening in your life. As you go into this new year, you need to remember that nothing's, nothing happens in your life that God doesn't know about. God knows your problems. He knows that, he, he knows that your, uh, every, every trial you're going to have, every problem you're going to have with your family, with your finances, with everything. And by the way, not only does God know them, here's what he promised. He promised that you as his child will never, ever go through anything without him going through it with you. He has promised that. How do I know? He promised it. Here's what he said. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Four, and be content with such things as you have. Four, he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. Never. That's a promise of God. Now, God knows all things. Would you agree? Amen. But let me say this to you. Not only does God know all things, our promise is not only that I, will, I know everything, I know what's going on in your life. Here's what he said. I'm, not only does he know everything, would you open your Bible, Romans chapter 8? He also says he's using everything. He's not only, he doesn't only knows it, he, he uses it. He is using all things for his glory and for your good. Listen to Romans chapter 8, picking it up in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So not only does God know everything, but he takes everything in your life and he works it for, his, for your good. All things are working together for good. Not all things are good. All things work together for good. Even the bad things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Now watch these promises. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He's using those things to conform you to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He knows everything, but that, I mean, that's one thing, but... To realize not only does he know everything, he uses everything for his glory and your good. You know, what your, you know what your greatest danger in 2023 is? Our greatest danger, your greatest danger, is not going to come from the White House. It's not going to come from Congress or from the Senate. It's not going to come from your job. Your greatest danger in 2023 is identity amnesia. Identity amnesia. You're going to forget who you are and who your God is. That's my greatest danger. My greatest danger this coming year is that I forget. I forget who I am, who God is. I forget that I'm his child. I forget, I forget that, 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 that I'm in Christ. That's the danger. We forget who our God is and who we are. Our greatest danger, we forget that we are called for his purposes. We are predestinated to be like Jesus. We are justified. We are glorified. God is working all things to our good. Why should we go into this year with all of the problems and all the, all the situations that are going on around us with confidence? What? Because, because our God is omniscient. 
He knows it all. And not only is he omniscient, he is sovereign. There was, look, there was nothing at all that those people could do without God's allowing them to do it. And there's nothing in your life that can come into your life that is not first filtered through the hand of God and through the love of God. Number two, not only can we face this year with great faith because of the omniscience and sovereignty of God, but number two, look, about, look at God's awesome power. When we went to verses 15 to 20, we saw incredible power. Here are these soldiers that are camped around that city, around Dothan. And here is this servant that is saying, there's no hope. I mean, master, look, they're everywhere. The soldiers are everywhere. And, and that prayer, that prayer that, that, that Elisha made, the first one, really grips my heart. Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. There's, there, there's, more, there's more with us than them. What are you talking about? Open his eyes, Lord, so he can see that we are surrounded by angels and by the chariots of fire. They're everywhere. They're all around us. Now, I want to say something very important. Think with me for a moment on this. Elisha was able to see the true nature of reality. His servant couldn't see it. To his servant, the reality was just what he could see physically. But we need to understand that reality is always more than we can see physically. Reality is always invisible and it's spiritual. What we think of reality is just what we can see around us. But the, rea- but the truth is that True reality is always invisible and is spiritual. It's not what we're doing, it's what God's doing, see. Listen to this verse. Think about this. Hebrews 11:3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now listen to this. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Everything you see is made up of invisible particles. It, it may Particles uh, of force and energy, we call electrons, protons, and neutrons. They're swirling around a central, cent- central nucleus. Nobody but God can see them. Nobody but God can really see what's happening. Elisha prayed that God would open his servant's eyes. When I read this and I thought about that, I told my wife, I said, Babe, that's what I need. That's what we need. I'm praying that God would open my eyes and help me to be able to see what he sees and not just what we see. We need that same thing. God, open our eyes so we can see the true reality. Not just our physical eyes, uh, but the invisible, the spiritual reality that's happening all around us. As I thought about that, I thought about the Apostle Paul, a statement that he made you remember that Paul, when he was saved on the road to Damascus in, 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 in the book of Acts, records how he was saved. He, he was blinded. And for a season, his eyes were blind. But after he was baptized, he, his eyes were opened again. He could see. But he went far beyond being able to see physically. 
Paul, in that process of walking with God, he learned that there's a reality all around him that you don't see with your physical eyes. Listen to what he said. He said, while we look not at the things which are seen. Paul had learned not to just see the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Paul had learned that I can't just look at what's around me and say, well, that's reality. No, I need to look at the things which are not seen. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what you're doing in these physical situations around us. This ability to see the invisible. It's what enabled Moses to become one of the greatest men that ever lived. Let me read for you Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses was even esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He had respect on the recompense of the reward. By faith, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Here's Moses. He chooses to suffer affliction with a bunch of slaves rather than to be the next in line for the kingship of of, of the greatest power on earth at the time. He looked at all the riches of Egypt and he looked at the affliction of, of his brethren and said, that's greater than that. How could he do this? Listen to this next verse. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Open my eyes, Lord. Let me see the invisible. Let me see the spiritual. God, give me the ability to see what, what, I, I, what, what I can't see physically, but is reality that's happening around us. You see, Moses knew that God was in control. He knew the power of Egypt was nothing compared to the power of God. All the power of Egypt at that time, greatest nation on the planet at that time, most powerful nation on the planet. Moses looked at it and he could see the invisible and he realized, my eyes have been opened. There's something greater, more powerful, much more powerful than the power of Egypt. The army of Syria would have gladly killed Elisha and his servant. Gladly killed them. But they couldn't. You see, there was a power that was far greater than the, Assy- than, than, than the Assyrian power. They, uh, they, they couldn't. The king of Syria says, go find Elisha, get him and bring him back. Can't be done, my friend. <laughs> you see, there's a power greater than ours. There's a great power greater than yours. All you're seeing is the physical. But there's, a, there, there's another element here. There's the invisible and the spiritual that is going on as well. Always is. By the way, those attacks on Israel were part of Satan's attempt to keep the Messiah from coming. That's what that was all about. The the attacks from the surrounding areas were to try to keep the Savior. Satan did not want Jesus to come. But Satan couldn't stop it. There was no power that could stop God's plan from being fulfilled. Why should you face your new year with confidence? I'll tell you this, Satan's attacks have no chance of stopping God's plan. If God has a plan for your life, Satan's not going to stop it. He, he, he can't win this victory. 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We, ne- we never need to be afraid of life. We don't need to be afraid to follow the God's plan for our life, what God's called you to do. So often fear holds us back. But by the grace of God, we can always say, my God is more powerful. If God has called me to do something, I mean, s- simple things like tithing. Simple things like witnessing. I mean, s- simple things like, like, like being faithful in church. God, look, we, fear causes us not to do these things that God's called us to do. Do it. Do it. You're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. If God's given you a plan and a direction, go, go for it. God will take care of you. He is in control. How can we face this new year with confidence? God's complete omniscience and sovereignty. God's awesome power. Let me give you one more thing real quickly. Number three, the surprising kindness and mercy of God. Did you catch verses 20 through 23? Does this come rather surprising to you? Um, In verses 20 through 23, we see tremendous, tremendous kindness from God. The king of Israel says, can we kill these guys? Let's do it right now. Shall Shall I slay them? Right now, let's smite them. Let's get it done. They're in our hand. Let's, let, let, let's strike while the iron is hot. Let's kill these guys. And the answer that God gives through Elisha is, you know, you know you're not going to kill them. Give them something to eat. Be good to them. Send them back home again. Your enemies. Wow. It is amazing to me how kind and merciful God is. The king of Israel, the king of Syria is ready to kill Elisha. He's ready to kill, kill the king of Israel. The king of Israel is ready to kill him back. They are ready to go, man. Let's do this. And God's incredible kindness and mercy. You know, the truth is God doesn't, didn't want them to die. God didn't want the Israelis to die. He didn't want the Syrians to die. God does not want people to die and go to hell. God is merciful. God is kind. He desires for us to live in peace, not hatred of each other. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves people. I'd say this to you. I I saw on Twitter a few months ago uh, a pastor pastor that I'm familiar with. He, He posted on Twitter and he said something to this effect. It was back, it was a few months ago, it was back during the during the, uh, uh, the 4th of July holidays. He posted on Twitter, and it, it just it hurt my heart. He said, those of, you that are, those of you that are, you know, praying for revival and, and uh, asking God to, 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 to give revival to America, you might as well forget about it. God doesn't, he said, America doesn't need to be, doesn't, doesn't deserve revival. America's not capable of being saved. Now, here's the reality, the true reality. That may be true. It may be in God's plan that we're not going to have revival in America, that we're headed down. But wait a minute. Who, who gave him or me or you the ability to make that determination for God? I mean, uh, since, when, since when do you have to deserve it to find God's forgiveness? 
These people don't deserve, deserve it. These, these, these Syrian armies had come to get, get Elisha, the man of God, the prophet of God, and they were going to take him home, to take him back to their country to see what happens to him. But it wasn't going to be good, whatever it was. But he gave mercy. He had mercy on them. We never, we never deserve God's mercy. That's why it's mercy. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. God is gracious and kind. I know America does not deserve the mercy of God. We do not deserve revival. I agreed with what he said in the, in the, in the, in the, in the tweet. That we don't deserve it. I just couldn't go with him to that next conclusion. That therefore, because we don't deserve it, we're not going to get it. Um, did you deserve salvation when you came to God and asked for it? I sure didn't. God gives, he, does, he doesn't, I don't want what we deserve. I want God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness. God could, could, and may give us that kindness and grace. By the way, this story also reminds me of, of what our attitude towards, should be towards those that are our enemies. Let me read one more passage for you, Romans 12. Romans 12, 18 through 21, if it be possible. If it be possible, it's not always possible. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. This king of Israel said, Let me take vengeance on these guys. God, God said, No, 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 that's mine. You feed them and send them home. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. It's surprising how kind and merciful God is. By the way, that's the attitude that we need to have in a local church. And towards, even, even towards those that are outside of our church, but especially towards each other. An attitude of forgiveness. An attitude of kindness, of grace. Not retaliation. Of love and forgiveness. As you face a new year with incredible challenges and uncertainty, I want you to do this. Ask God to open your eyes. Say, God, would you open my eyes and let me see what's going on around me? Could you open my eyes and let me see the invisible? If we could just see the invisible, we'd realize that, hey, it's okay. God knows what is happening. He is in control. He is all-powerful. And He is extremely kind and merciful. As we go into 2023, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trusting in man. I'm not trusting in our... In a, I'm glad we took, we, we took back the Congress. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in God. Amen. And I'm asking God to help me every day. Look, God, open my eyes. Help me to see the invisible. Not just what's going on around us, but you at work in those things around us. We do that, we go into 2023 with confidence. Now, if you come back tonight... I'm going to give you a message on the power that we have to live that life in 2023 as we go into it. But for now, let's ask God. God, open our eyes. Help us to see you and to see you at work in our world around us. Can we bow our heads together for prayer? Just a moment. We're going to stand and have an invitation as you always do on Sundays. But before we do, 
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder if I might just ask a couple of questions very quickly before the invitation. Question number one is this. I wonder if there's somebody here today that would say, Brother Dwight, I'm not sure I'm saved. Maybe you're visiting today. Maybe uh, this is your first time here. Maybe you've, you've been here before, but you've never, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You've never made that decision to step forward and say, I want to I believe in Jesus. I, wanna, I want him as my Savior. I want to ask him to forgive me. Is there somebody here today that would say, Brother Dwight, I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I'd like to be sure, but I do, I do not know. I'm not sure, 100% sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to walk over and tap you on the shoulder. We're not going to call attention to you, but we'd like to pray with you about it today. If you're here today, you'd say, I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down very quickly and very quietly across the auditorium, anybody at all? I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to, but I'd like, I'd like to be sure. I see no hands. Question number two for the invitation. I wonder if there's somebody here today that would say, Brother Dwight, God has spoken to me today. The truth is I need to... I need to have God open my eyes. I'm too focused on what I see around me, the negative, and I don't realize that God's at work here. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. There are more with us than with them. Who else would say, or who would say today, Dwight, pray for me? God's spoken to my heart. Would you slip your hand up and write back down all over the auditorium? Yes, most of us. Could we stand with our heads bowed, our Heavenly Father? We do thank you today for your wonderful grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you are in control, that you're omniscient, you know it all, you're, you're sovereign, you're in control of everything, that, God, that you, that you are kind, you're gracious. And, Lord, we ask that you might send revival to our country, and I pray that you'll help us, Father, open our eyes, that we might be able to go into life, whatever, this, whatever, whatever 2023 holds, whether it's, a, whether it's a bad diagnosis somewhere for, for uh, our health or whether it's something that is a great, uh, great, looks like a great trial, God, help us to see you, to see that you're in control and that you're working through whatever this situation might be. And you're working for our good and for your glory. Bless this time of invitation. Heads are bowed, their eyes are closed. We're going to ask the pianist to play, and if God's spoken to your heart, you feel free to slip out and come. Spend a few moments at the altar if you'd like.